and welcome to episode two of Why Comics. Uh, this week I am joined by the mighty John Tucker, uh, author of such comics as um, Adrift, Bold, Hell, and Taxi, uh, Nightwatch, so many more we'll, we'll talk about in the show. Um, we talked for a couple of hours after I asked him the question, Why Comics? And um, yeah, it's... It was a really good chat. I really enjoyed it. Um, hopefully you'll enjoy listening to it too. Um, I repeat my little thing about slabbing that I also said in the Tony episode. I apologise for being repetitive. So if you listen to the Tony episode, you're like, oh, fuck me, is he on the right slabbing again? Dick. Uh, yeah, I did. Uh, I apologise. But fortunately, John was such an awesome guest that you probably won't even know it's okay. you be like, fuck the fat guy. Let's listen to John. So anyway, uh, that's that. Um it's mentioned in the show, um, some links and that, and I'll give you them again at the end, and where you can see John. Um, yeah, so I shall pass you over to Past Me and John Tucker for episode two of Why Comics. Hello, John. Hello. How are we, all right? I'm good. Yourself? Yeah, very well, thank you. Yeah. Cracking. So I've brought you here today, um, I've tied you to the chair, Casino Royale style, to ask mm-hmm. you one very simple question, or well, maybe not so simple. Okay. Why Comics? Why comics? Well, pleasure. Well, you've caught me on the hop with that one. I, I had no idea. <laughs> I know. Right. I like um, to surprise people. <laughs> right. Um, yeah, I, I, I've given this a bit of thought this time because the last time you asked me this question was for the True Believers, um, the 2019, the sort of like meet the artists thing, wasn't yeah, it? That's right. Yeah. And I sent you a massive long shaggy dog story about my father being an unlicensed boxer and me being too stupid to do anything else. That's the one, yeah. Yeah, um, I, I haven't. I'm not going to do that again this time, obviously. Um, but the, I think the the reason I the reason I sent you that massive, untrue, by the way, story. Well, I've been telling um, that was real. A few people asked. But, uh, <laughs> the re- <clears throat> oh dear, the reason I um <clears throat> oh excuse me, I believe fast show this. Um, the. Re- <laughs> The reason I think the reason I sent you that at the time is because I don't think I really had a good answer. Like when I got that in the in the inbox and was like, "Oh, why comics?" I thought, "Oh God, why?" <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, why am I doing this to myself? But um, I've given it a bit of thought this time, and um, yeah, it's it's complicated. Okay. <laughs> so that's my thank you very much. Cool. Thanks. <laughs> thanks for coming on. No, <laughs> oh, yeah, my pleasure. Um, yeah, I, I think I, I don't know. I mean, there's there's lots of reasons for it. I mean, you know, it's it's one of those things. I think that the 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 pull of it for me is like and like and I've I've chosen to interpret this question as like, why do you why do you do it? Because I heard Tony's this morning, and his was like a very eloquent you know uh, tale of his uh, of how comics is interweaved with his life and his relationship with his father and his career and all the rest of it um i haven't got any of that um i i kind of uh i, I think I, I just sort of kind of fell into comics to be honest with you you know yeah um I, but i think the thing that has always really like appealed to me about um like self-publishing in general but i mean especially comics in the last couple of years is that i think it's one of the last um it's one of the last sort of true, like truly, like dangerous art forms. And when I say and when I say dangerous, I don't mean like you know, uh, physically dangerous. I mean, <laughs> I mean it's it's one of those things where like, if you go to like an independent comic convention, um, you genuinely have no idea what's going to be inside. 
anything you pick up. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. Um, I, I think it's, I think it is the risk that appeals to me about it. Um, I mean, I've been, I've been kind of like peripherally attached to, um, to like self-publishing uh, for quite a long time. Like, I, I got my sort of real start in it when I was at university, but even like before then. Like I like when I was when I was a kid, I wasn't really like I wasn't really like a DC or Marvel kid growing up because there just, there just wasn't that stuff around. Like I grew up in like a sleepy village just outside of Cardiff, and um, it was really just whatever was in like the newsagents or W. H. Smith. So like it, for me, it was like the Beano, the Dandy, uh, Simpsons comics, which were very good, uh, yeah. that kind of thing. Um, but you know we didn't really have you know we didn't have like weekly floppies you know um like you like you get from a comic shop uh so like my my first sort of like indication that self publishing was a thing was i remember like i remember picking up do you remember did you ever read n64 magazine the sort of unlicensed nintendo 64 magazine uh i think i bought a couple yeah during my uh gamer days that weren't really much of gamer days but you know i like to pretend to look with in with the cool kids <laughs> yeah same the cool kids are all buying n64 magazine but th- they had like a page in the back of it which was sort of like the fanzine page so like there were people up and down the country and i was like i think it must have been i must have been like like nine or ten years old around the time but i remember reading this and it was all these like pictures of people's like nintendo 64 fanzines and some of them were so narrow in scope. It was it was just for like one really obscure Capcom title that hadn't come out in the UK, and it was these pictures of like photocopied, obviously done on the printer things. And it was like, right, if you want to copy of this, send one pound fifty in an envelope to someone's <laughs> house, and they will post it back to you. Right? I thought, my God, and can you imagine that now? Like, can you imagine like a page in like a big you know, a big console magazine with a picture of loads of like photocopied fanzines. You just it's inconceivable now. Think like thinking back on how weird that was. You know. But then like not long after that, I think we got like um like we got a an internet connected computer, which was like a big deal in the house at the time. I remember like one of the first things that I did with it, I was like <laughs> it was like ninety-eight and I was like I would have been then ten. And I remember going on the uh, WCW website, which was World Championship Wrestling, for anyone who doesn't remember or know. I remember going on the website and seeing spoilers for an episode of Nitro that hadn't aired in this country. I thought, oh, the power of the internet. Do you know what I mean? Like, (laughs) oh, there's results here from a Baltimore house show that I didn't even know it existed. My goodness. (laughs) (laughs) But, um, yeah, so, like, I mean, I was, like, I was, like, making websites and, mucking around with that for like you know my basically my all my teenage years i was just like terminally online just you know brain adult online teenager and i was always like you know putting just daft stuff out you know online i remember one of my one of the, the first website i did that really like took off all it was it, <laughs> it was a website and all i was doing was i was photoshopping mr t into celebrity photographs from like <laughs> From like the fifties and sixties, so it's like here's Mr. T and Elvis, here's Mr. T and the Beatles. It was just that every page had its own picture. And at the time, I was like fourteen. At the time, I thought, yeah, this is you know, this could really take off. You know, this could this is going places. This Mr. T celebrity Photoshop website. But I like even then, I was like, I was really keen to like put something out. It didn't matter what, you know, even if it is just old celebrity photos with Mr. T photoshopped into them. 
that's my that I'm putting my stamp out. Do you know what I mean? I'm putting my thing out there. You know? Um, uh, yeah, I know. I feel like I've wasted my life now, to be honest. <laughs> so do I. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, but then um, I suppose it, like it all it, like the the thing that sort of like really like sparked it off for me was like when I got to um, when I got to university, I went to. Um, I went to Manchester Metropolitan for university and um, I went with somebody who I, who I already knew and I was already friends with. And we were a bit older than everybody else. We were like early twenties, but things, if you're early twenties going in, into university with a bunch of 18 year olds, you might as well be 60 to them. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, so we turned up, we already knew each other and we were like, we were going around this freshers fair and it was things like, you know, circus skills and rugby club and all this other stuff. And, like to me, there is nothing more tragic than an adult on a unicycle. So we were like, oh Jesus Christ, generally. And then we saw this like ramshackle little table that was, I think, unmanned for large portions of the day, advertising like the student magazine. And we thought, oh, that might be interesting. And we sort of went along to that to inquire. And they were like, oh, do you want, do you want to be like on the editorial board because we're desperate for people? So we were like, well, because like n- neither me or him were studying like. A creative subject you know I've, I've never like trained as an artist i've never done any art training ever um i studied a completely unrelated thing while i was at uni but we said like, i don't think we're really the best people for the job and they said well you're here so you are the best people for the job would you be interested so we're like, okay fine and like we th- well we we threw like everything we had at this for an entire year but i mean the whole time we were doing that because like there was no money there was hardly anybody doing it, but we just had to make this thing. We just had to keep making it every month. Yeah. So we had to be very creative about how we were filling the pages, and like the the layout of it changed every month. So one month it would be, um, and this is the the editor like lived and died by the success of the magazine. So, like sometimes we'd go into her office and she'd be on the floor in the fetal position because of you know bleeds or whatever, and. Uh, <laughs> But she used to change the the format of the magazine. So like one month it would be like an A5 landscape wide thing. And then the next month it would be like a big newspaper. And like thinking back, I think this is where I got that idea of like different sizes for different stuff because she was doing that, you know, 10 years ago, you know? Yeah. Um, but I mean, like a, a lot of people very did not enjoy working on Pulp Magazine. Like that really rubbed some people up the wrong way. But me and my friend loved it. We loved, loved, loved it. And when that ended, because every year they'd like turn the staff over. And when that ended, I thought, well, I, thought, I, I you know, I really want to keep doing this now. So like, it, like when I was like when I got to Manchester, like, I arrived from Cardiff in like the Beverly Hillbillies car with a fucking rocking chair on the roof, <laughs> and. <laughs> And, you know, like, there, there was, like, a smattering of, like, uh, like small press, like, zine culture in Cardiff that I was aware of when I was there. Like, there was some, like, you know, like, free music magazines, like, Kruger was, like, I think, was a local thing. And there was, you know, uh, you know, you would see the occasional zine. But the yeah. majority of it was, like, ad-supported stuff that you felt was, like, made in an office somewhere by people with salaries. You, you didn't think, oh, I could do that. You know, it was, yeah. uh, it was like, a, a, a thing that arrived on a truck and somebody had paid for it. Um, but then when I got to Manchester and like, you know, especially if you go around like Manchester's Northern quarter, there's loads of like record shops and cafes and stuff, um, that have like just stacks of zines in the window, just freeze just things that people have made for the love of it. And they just, just give it away, you know? And yeah. I remember seeing all this stuff and a lot of it was like, you know, uh, like confessional writing or poetry and it wasn't great. But I remember being like enchanted by this, you know, 
this idea that, oh, well, these people have just cared enough about whatever it is to make the thing and they've seen it through. So I thought, well, you know, this isn't too dissimilar to what I was doing on Pulp Magazine, so I can do that. So I thought, well, um, you know, I, I know how to draw. Uh, I could just I could make free comics and give them away because it, it was around this time that I I'd sort of like come back around to comics because I got I got kind of disconnected from them um, once I sort of like aged out of my Beano and Dandy years and what have you. Yeah, and then I kind of circled back around um, sort of like mid two thousands, and this would have been like the web comic thing. I talked about this on the Awesome Comics podcast, but like the the like the web comics of the early of the early to mid two thousands. I mean that you know if you want to talk about the '90s being the the low point for comics, <laughs> not even fucking close, not even close. The mid 2000s web comic boom. I mean, my goodness. But um, but there were some people. There were like you know, obviously not everybody was bad. There were a lot of people then doing like really interesting stuff with it, like um, like Kate Beaton and uh, uh, Casey Green, who's like a perennial favorite of mine. Yeah. And um, basically, what I did was I just stole whole cloth from Casey Green. I just started doing like my Casey Green tribute act and like printing it out at the university print shop and just folding it up myself, stapling it up, cycling around and like just dropping it off at record shops and that. And that was like the first, that was like my first foray into comic making. So I think like, I think that's, that's like the, the like if, if the question is like, why comics? The, the, the answer is like, I'm, I think I'm kind of compelled, you know? And I think the reason I'm compelled is because, like some of the, some of the best times I ever had was making these weird little things that nobody asked for, you know, and the the process of like seeing it through. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, because you know, and the thing is, and the other good thing is that like with like with indie comics especially, like that is one of the easiest ways to get a a sort of visual story out into the world. You know, because if you want to make a film. You know, unless it's this like idiot savant thing that's meant to be crap, you have to know how to make a film. Yeah. And you have to have the kit to make a film. You have to know about apertures and lenses, and you know, um, you know, mic- you know, miking stuff for sound, and that you have to know all this stuff, and you have to have locations and actors and all the rest of it. But if you want to, you know, and and as I heard Tony say earlier, and as I read him, you know, I read on his website, I'm not saying that if you can't get your film made, then make a comic out of it. Because that's not the point. But you know, if if you have like a visual story to tell, then I I think in in most in, you know in cases where it's appropriate, I think like comics is a, you know a really really good avenue for that because it's quick. It's entirely dependent on you or you and your collaborators, and then it's out there and the market decides. You know, like no one can say no. You know, like there's not some. Uh, there's not some like shadowy executive sort of saying yay or nay. And then if they say nay, then no one sees it. You make it and then you put it out. And if, and it, if it sucks and everyone hates it, well, that's a shame, but you did it, you know, that's something, yeah. right? <laughs> yeah, no, completely. Yeah. Um, so, sorry, go on. Sorry. I was just going to say with sort of the, doing the mini zines and dropping them off and yeah. record shops and that, did you then, how were you kind of nonchalant about it once you dropped them off they were out or was it you kept popping back or you'd hang around for a bit and see if people picked them up oh no once they were gone they were gone like i i because i thought i can't torture myself like that (laughs) i can't drop them off and then go back in a month and be like you know expecting a round of applause from everyone in the cafe and seeing (laughs) and seeing inconceivably there's more there than there was when i left them you know uh 
someone's dropped one off from somewhere else. <laughs> no, but, <laughs> but um, no, I don't know. I mean, and and that's and that is something I think I've I've stuck with. To be honest, like once it's done, it's done. Like that, I'd say if, I'd say that put like that's a failing on my part, especially in regards to like. Um, like marketing my comics, you know what I mean? Because like, as soon as it's finished, then to me, that's done now, and and it doesn't matter anymore. I, mean, I know that's a really bad attitude to take when you're, like, when you're basically like a. Like I, I don't think it's a bad thing from a creative point of view, though, because you kind of like yeah, but from it's sales, sales, it's there. Sales. from a sales point of view, yeah, it's, it's poison. Yeah, it's the poison chalice, but I suppose <laughs> it's sort of a it organically happens rather than being forced to a certain degree. Yeah, that's it. Because like you know, I got this big poster comic coming out at Glasgow, which will be this weekend when this goes out. Uh, yeah, this will go out next Wednesday. So yeah, yeah, the Wednesday before Glasgow. Yeah, 29th, isn't it? So this will be coming out Saturday, right? Um, but the thing is, I finished Sido like two months ago, and I've had the print copies for well over a month. So as far as I'm concerned, that's old news. It's not even out yet. But to me, I'm like, eh. That's done. <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh, that's old news. People have seen that. No one's seen that. Do you know what I mean? Like, but yeah, it, I know what you mean. In your head, it's kind of, it could yeah, be interesting at tables. I mean, you're just kind of, yeah, that's old thing. Yeah, that's old. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, yeah. No, I don't know. I was never like, and even now, like, I'm not really. Not really too can I mean as well I mean you know I, I don't I don't come back to juries in and check if anyone's you know like yeah I, I, you can't do that now like but um no I mean even now like uh, I think that that's that's kind of and it's be, I think it's because like um when we, when we were making uh, the university magazine with nothing like we were like sending them off and and dropping them off places and then you didn't really have time to to dwell on how well it was doing or if anyone liked it you just had to kind of you had to move on you know because um you know the next print deadline would be like a week away from then yeah you just got to kind of keep pushing and i think you know like i I think that's probably for the best to be honest with you do you know what i mean yeah no it's great i mean i'm a little bit guilty sometimes of like when we put a new podcast out just later on in the day popping back and be like how many people have downloaded it but oh yeah it inevitably is never the number you think in your head even when you're being pessimistic so <laughs> i i'd love to have sort of the mindset but i think there would be a part of me that is kind of like you know i might just hang around for a little bit and see if anybody takes one i mean someone a couple of people did email me like when they when they picked him up and they got in touch and they're like oh you know I, I found this thing and i uh i really liked it and you know that was that was nice like that kind of thing's great like i mean if anyone had got in touch and said like this sucks and what are you doing like i might not be on this podcast right now <laughs> you know i mean it might have completely changed the course of my life you know I mean? <laughs> but uh fortunately nobody did no and it's one of the good things about this comic community, particularly the small press one, is that people are incredibly supportive or polite. <laughs> yeah, and no one says anything bad about you, as uh, as Tony's tried to rectify. Well, not anything bad, but do you know what I mean? Like that that yeah. honestly thing he's doing, where like uh, I mean, I it's sorely overdue. You know what I mean? Like because yeah, this I, whole like, sorry, go on. It's the constructive criticism thing. I think if you're putting something out in the world, you have to prepare yourself for the fact that you are going to get that. You know nobody nails it every time or first time or even you know 
like I say, every time. So no, you, you kind of have to expect at least some form of criticism to come back. And I yeah, think I mean, at least from that, you've got something you can build on and work with. Yeah, and I don't, I don't think Tony was like cruel or malicious. So, you know, everything, you know, all the reviews I saw were, you know, it was all reasonable stuff, you know. But yeah, um, yeah I mean, that, I mean, hopefully that'll be, you know, that's something that is, uh, hopefully that'll take off. Do you know what I mean? Because it, because the thing is, it does make it very, very hard to like, uh, to sort of like navigate your way, especially if you're like, um, like if you're not like, a, a maker if you're just like buying indie comics well then how do you you know how do you know what's for you if everything's the, the greatest thing everyone's ever seen do you know what I mean like well that's it and the, as a medium it's never going to move forward if no, people are it. constantly picking something up because it was recommended and then when they read it they're like oh, really I think yeah. I'll go back to watching films <laughs> that's it well yeah I mean because the thing is I've seen that I've seen that reaction happen in real time like, actually you know when you, when you say like did you ever stick around and see if anyone picked it up the answer is no but when you're at a convention you don't have a choice yeah you, <laughs> you have to watch you have to watch people react and i've seen plenty of people pick it up and go oh christ do you know what i mean like someone picked it up thinking it was obviously thinking it was going to be something and then they turn to a page that's got something horrible on it and they go oh jesus and then they've got they they like look up at me to see if i'm looking at them they look down they wait five seconds they put the book back and they say thank you and they go <laughs> That's the order. I've noticed yeah. that over the years. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. I mean, not you know. The thing is, not everything's for everyone, is it? I mean, you know. I think if if you try and please everyone, then you know you you know you know. I it's, I can't remember who said it, but like someone said, they'd rather be like they'd rather be nine people's favorite thing than a thousand people's ninth favorite thing. Yeah, one hundred percent agree with that. It's... I can't remember who said that, but uh, I always thought, yeah, that's a really really good way of justifying doing a commercially non viable business. It's well, <laughs> kind of the ethos with true believers as well is it's kind of like I'd rather be a con that connects with a small group of people mm. than you know the oh yeah and I also went to kind of thing on people's list of other cons kind of thing. Well, that's it. I mean, I, th- I think the thing with like true believers is like you know you you uh, you know what that is and you know what you're getting. Like everybody knows, I think what especially on like our side of it, everybody knows what true believers is and what the focus is i know you've had people complaining there wasn't enough funko pops and whatever you know that, those kind of emails you should probably just frame and stick on the wall <laughs> but um you know but, but you know because you've got other you've got some conventions now that are like trying to almost change lanes and they've decided after however many years of uh you know uh, it's you know it's jerry anderson's postman here for photo opportunities they finally decided oh well actually we're going to get the indie comics people in yeah but the problem is you can't just say right indie comics people now come on in you come because that's not every most people with that kind of thing are like wait and see so that you know changing your um like demographic takes a long time that's it it's about building a community and building a reputation and if you haven't got the heart and the passion for it yeah that really comes across in a oh and we also got some rather than a this is forefront and center of what we do we've got that other shit as well to kind of hook you in but (laughs) You know, I, sometimes the you didn't have any Funko Pops is a valid thing if you're trying to pull in a casual person. Yeah. Because you, you kind of want the thing that they're like, oh, I like that. That next to it looks really cool as well. Mm. And But what you don't want is just walls of the fucking things. Well, yeah, I mean, you know, I, I'm sure that, you know, there, there could be like a, a cognizant argument made for 
for Funko Pop representation at True Believers. But, um, you know, I mean, you got to think... It's not my priority. (laughs) That's very much like, and if we can... And also, would that would that put one extra ass in a seat? Would that like would that bring one extra person in? Oh, by the way, we have got Funko Pops. Like, is that really gonna? Do you know what I mean? I'm I, I'm not convinced that would that alone would. No, one. Well, I don't think anybody really comes to our event now for Funko Pops. If they happen to get a couple while they're there, they're perfectly happy. But yeah, that's it. I I don't think that. I mean, if you you know people go into MCM, and I say this as someone who who does not you know I don't. I don't own any Funko Pops and I'm not in the market for them. But, um, you know, I, uh, MCM and that, where they have like the big, basically they install a shop. Yeah. yeah. Maybe there are people going there, you know, exclusively to buy, you know, I, I'm trying to think of an example, like, you know, a flocked CM Punk, <laughs> Funko, I don't know, whatever, right? But, you know, like, I don't think that's, you know, I, I I don't know. I don't think that's like a reasonable expectation of what is very clearly an independent focused comic con. Yeah. You know? Unless they were like independent Funko Pops. Actually, that's a point. Could we can we all like have a go at making them? And then you can advertise that we that True Believers has got them, but it's the ones that we've made. Susie Gander did make one for um Periwinkle. And I oh, think right. Vince might have a Red Mars from Mars one. Okay. That's yeah, perhaps bad. we could get Funko Pop on board with that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm sure they'd that's be well. The way to- you know, worlds collide. Yeah, exactly. Listen, Funko, a, you need a bold Funko Pop. I need you. Oh, hundred <laughs> percent. There we go. There's an idea. Bloody hell! Get that on Kickstarter. But there was that time, though. It was the weird expectation of I went to your Comic Con. I was expecting Funko Pops. There weren't any. Yeah, like, but what I mean, kind of Comic Con are you? And you know, that's kind of something. I mean, that's nothing we've ever leaned into. No. Like I say, it's always been the as well as we had one year where. It's reason why we started getting people to apply for tables is because people were, you know, buying tables as comic sellers, and then when they turned up, it was just walls of com- comic-themed Funko Pops. <laughs> <laughs> you know I, kind of, I kind of respect that. I do respect the grift. I really do. <laughs> <laughs> you do. <laughs> what did the form say though? Like, is it, like, isn't this stuff on there? Like, what kind of thing are you selling? Like, what? Did yeah, we say? had that basic thing. We. I used to do it that we just had different kinds of tables up. Mm. And sometimes they put a website link, in which case I could then click on it and instantly refund them their money and say, you've booked the wrong table. I just, I, I, really like the, table. I really like the idea of you getting into like a cat and mouse game with them where like they advertise as a, as a, as a comic seller and they give you a website for like a fake comic artist. <laughs> so I'm putting out a mental health memoir this year and they turn up. Yeah, I decided against that. I'm actually more in the Funko Pop game now. <laughs> I found the cure for my mental health was Funko. Funko Pops, 100%, just like it was Beanie Babies 15 years ago. <laughs> yeah, they seem to die out a lot fucking quicker though than Funko Pop seemed to be. Yeah, well, we'll see. <laughs> You're listening anyway, to the Funko yeah. Pop Hour. <laughs> so why Funkos? <laughs> Why Funko? Yeah, why Funkos? Who indeed? Who wants them? Who needs them? Ugh, kids love them. Yeah, that's fair enough. It's, it's you know. for the buying action figures of the things they like. Oh, that's it. Yeah, but, I mean, ten uh, quid yeah. for a Funko or fifteen quid for a Captain America figure. Oh, there you go. Exactly. I mean, yeah, you know, it's something for everyone, isn't it? It's just not what. It's just not the focus, is it? No, I mean they're perfectly fine bits of tap, but it gets extreme when you've got like sixty different variants of Deadpool that people just have to have. Did you see that um, that poster was doing the rounds online? I think it was about a year ago now. About this guy who like drew up a fun- a Funko Pop contract with his wife. He had to like draw up a contract. 
No. Saying he could only spend X amount on Funko Pops a year. But he included like a bunch of exclusions. Like uh, this this limit does not apply to San Diego Comic Con Week, New York Comic Con Week. It was basically just (laughs) worthless. And it was things like, and if my wife buys any Funko Pops, that won't contribute to the limit. It's like, yeah, from the sounds of it, she's not buying many Funko Pops. (laughs) Sounds like it's you. That I, man is I, now divorced and alone. Yeah, I was going to say, I wonder how, I wonder how that marriage is going if they've had to draw up a fucking Funko contract. Jesus Christ! Well, it was the saddest thing when I worked at HMV and they started selling them, and then it got to a point where we'd have to offer a protective plastic case for your Funko <laughs> for an extra like one ninety nine or something. And the amount of people you'd offer it to, and they'd look at you like, what the "Fuck, are you mental!" I'm going to chuck the box away. So like, this hey, piece of shit's going on my desk at work. Careful, just can't be too careful with them, honestly. <laughs> can't get a ding in that box. It might devalue it by 90p. <laughs> hey, you want to be careful, boys, or this will be worthless in 10 years. <laughs> anyway, comics. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that is, I mean it's kind of comic-related because it was the state of affairs for a little while in the Comic-Con circuit. Yeah, yeah. Um, and you know, there's it's, nothing it's worse not than the scope of this podcast. <laughs> well, I suppose there's nothing worse as an indie comic creator being, you know, hidden behind between two people, two tables piled up with Funkos. Well, I mean, we did um, we did Dunfermline uh, in March, and we were in the marquee. And to, and to be fair, right, most of the people there were like indie comic people, but the guy behind us um, who had his back to us, it was just like racks and racks of like the bad Batman film memorabilia. <laughs> it, was, it was like the Arnie, Mr. Freeze car and stuff. And um, So what you're saying is that's the bad one, right? Oh, uh, well. <laughs> I need to rethink my life. <laughs> do you not think that's the bad one? I do think that's the bad one, yeah. Oh, fine, right. Um, and then uh, over the aisle from us was a guy who was selling, um, like, it was like CNC machined wood that you could put together into a big broadsword at home. It was like a make your own broadsword pack. So it was like Mr. Freeze car wouldn't make your own broadsword. And then the comics of John Tucker all within like a four square meter block. I thought this is <laughs> to me, that's the, that's the perfect trilogy by though. This is the weirdest block I've ever been in. Do you know what I mean? Like Jesus. <laughs> yeah I, I mean it's that tricky thing of trying to integrate <clears throat> small press comics in with the other stuff so that people are kind of like oh I came for that but I like the look of that oh, but yeah, it's at, at the same time it's very easy to get lost in in between those sort of things yes it is it's very hard to compete for people's money when there's a when there's a massive broadsword over the over the aisle because <laughs> we've, we've had it both sides of people being like you put me with all the other small press creators so I was just lost amongst them Right, yeah, yeah. That's like, well, yeah, I, I can see that. But at the same time, if I put you there, you'd then be complaining that you were buried behind, you know, fifteen long boxes and. Yeah, it's it is tricky. I mean, there's there's no there's no right or wrong answer to it though, is there? It's just there isn't. I think from an eye point of view, for me, there's nothing more exciting than just seeing all that creativity together. Oh yeah, yeah, that's incredible. Like because like when I first because like, the very first comic convention i ever did as you know was yours it was um it was the 2018 true believers i'd never been to a comic convention um i'd never been as a punter never been as an exhibitor never been to one so like we turned up like looking 
frightened with our tablecloth and our comics and that. That's but, like we look every year. But like we sat down, and the one thing, like, because like my, like my wife, who's like my table manager, like turned to me and said, "They all know each other." And you know, because like people were like coming past us and like shaking hands with someone, and then they yelled to someone over the way. Like everybody seemed to know everybody else. You know, like yeah, uh, like Sarah Millman was on the corner to us, and so like we introduced ourselves to her and that, and like you know, I've seen her you know dozens of times since then, of course. Um, but you know, there's people coming up to her all day, and then she went off to do something else, and someone came in and watched the table that she knew, and. I just remember thinking, like, I, I thought I didn't think it was going to be as chummy as this. Do you know what I mean? Like, I kind of expected it to be a bit more clinical, I think. Is that yeah. The yeah. Yeah, I completely, I mean, it's, it's the main thing that keeps me going is just how awesome it is to be a part of that community. And oh, it's great. How, how welcoming it is and, you know, how you instantly feel like part of it. Well, that's it. Yeah. And, like, no one's precious about it. Like, because like, you look at, like, um, you look at like the awesome comics podcast, right? Like I just happened to like sit next to them at uh, Cardiff independent comic expo in 2018. And um, like Tony had read one of my books. So like, him and Vince came around to like, introduce themselves. Vince bought a massive pack of stuff and he said, Oh, we must get you on the show. And I remember like, I remember seeing them at true believers in 2018, like on like, I think, did they have like the end of the aisle booth? Yeah. That's right. Awesome yeah. I remember seeing them and thinking, Oh, right. Okay. So there's like a, podcast for this because I, I you know I, I didn't i didn't know anybody i'd never heard of anything didn't know right and i remember thinking oh that'd be good to like you know be good if i could get on that in like two years i was on it like six months later do you know what i mean like and you know then that's just you know they didn't have to they didn't have to invite me on the show you know they're not precious about their platform like because yeah. like like 90 of the people who know who i am in this regard know who i am because of the awesome comics podcast you know and they didn't have to do that so like I was, you know, you know, I'm very grateful to them for that still. But like, you know, I was really surprised by how, you know, by how friendly pe- people were. You know, I was kind of expecting it to be a bit cattier. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, no, like, I mean, I mean, that podcast is great because even though I yeah. organise it, especially when we're at the race course, I just didn't get time to get around every table. It's one of the reasons why I always leave a card, just thanking people for coming. Yes. Yeah. On the tables and that, because I know I might not be able to get to them in person, but I try to. And I think I missed you when you were there. I think I saw the roulette yeah. wheel and thought, oh, that's awesome. I'm going to pop back and check on that. And just, you know, nature of the beast of running it. I just never got back to it. Oh, so yeah. The the first time I sort of got to meet you properly kind of thing was through the awesome pod when you were on that. Yeah. And then sort of from listening to people on that, you kind of feel like you know them. So it's much easier to go and talk to them at events. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, because like, um, like people have come up to because the, the shows I've done since I was on the Awesome Comics podcast, like people have come up to me just, you know, and just talk to me as as though we've you know we've known each other for years and and at no point can i interject and say sorry who are you <laughs> do you know what I mean? like <laughs> you can't you can't just stop a conversation five minutes in and say i, I don't you know i don't know who you are sorry do you know I mean? like but that's it like, yeah, because it's such a you know it's such as like a familiar format it is um it, you know it you you do really get a good sense of of who the people are who are going on the show you know i think that's one of the real strengths of it you know? yeah 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 and like i say i think that's the amazing thing about comics now it's from such a isolated hobby that you know something you enjoy by yourself kind of thing mm. to have opened so many doors like for me into becoming part of this community i've met so many great people through doing it yeah same as well i mean that's sort of a real good selling point for comics for me but so 
with the you did the zines and put that in. Then when did you start thinking about putting out your first comic? Because your first one, what I read them, I bought a bolt pack, so I can't remember which one came first. The very first, the the first comic of like the modern era of like the post zine era was the taxi. That was the first one, right? Um, because I, I you know I I did a few zines while I was at uni, did a, a bit of art, like, you know, like contributions to other things. While I was at university, and then I moved back to Wales. Um, you know, graduated from university. I had to, you know, go out and get a job. I had to like train up in my job. Um, and I, I don't, you know, as I said, I don't have like an art, an arty job. Um, so you know, I, I took like, you know, I took a couple of years off. But then I thought, oh yeah, that, you know, I thought, I, I thought I could probably make a proper go with this. Do you know what I mean? Like, I thought I've got enough ideas, and I think I'm, you know, I think I'm okay enough to draw them myself. Do you know what I mean? So I thought, yeah. well, I said, I'll just give myself a year and I'll see what happens. And, uh, so, you know, I, I, um, and I just got, um, I just bought an iPad pro with a pencil. Cause that's one thing I struggled with for years was like finding an art set. Cause I knew I wanted to work digitally, but every digital art setup I had was just the shit. Like, uh, <laughs> I had like the little whack on tablet with a usable surface area, like a pack of fags. I had that. <laughs> And that was rubbish. And then I had a big, like, cheap Chinese, like, um, Intuos knockoff. But then I figured out it's not the size of the tablet that's the problem. It's that I don't like drawing on one thing and looking at another. Yeah, that was always the thing that put me off. Yeah. So then, so then I got a bloody, uh, then I got a Surface Pro, a Microsoft Surface Pro, and I didn't like that because it, the aspect ratio on it was so wide, it was like drawing on the side of a cereal packet. <laughs> It was like very, very long and very, very thin. So like all the menus in like Manga Studio took up like ninety percent of the screen. So it was, you know, it was, it was like draw, drawn on the spine of a book in the end. It was awful. So flogged that, and then I thought, oh Christ, never gonna happen. And then they brought out the the iPad Pro with a pencil. I thought, oh that could be that could be something. And I got it, and I I never looked back. Like that was that was how that all started. So the taxi was the first comic I did on that. Um. Yeah, that was the that was chronologically the first one I did. Yeah. So, sort of, um, did you know when you did that that you were going to put it out, or were you thinking it was just something to get out of your system, or did you no, did you have I, an eye on conventions and that sort of thing? Not then, I didn't know. I I knew I well, the thing is I I knew there was, I I knew that there was like a convention circuit, like because like when I was when I was in Manchester, like Thought Bubble was on the up and up. Yeah. And um, I thought, oh, okay. I thought, well, that because you know, I my impression of a comic convention was, oh, it must be, you know, cosplay and you know, meet meet someone who was a stormtrooper, you know, that kind of convention. Yeah. So I I didn't really realize that there was this like undercurrent of uh, this sort of like underground of comics in the UK. I didn't, I, you know, I just wasn't aware of it. But um, I, I sort of started to look into it around the time I was putting the taxi together, and I found. You know, I found Sice, I found you, and I found, you know, um, I saw the thought bubble had exploded, like, from what I remember of it, you know. And uh, I thought, oh, I thought, well, I could, you know, I could try my hand at this. So, um, yeah, I think while that was being produced, I was I was kind of like, uh, I was like working towards like a 2018 year of it to see how I'd get on. You know, I think that that was always the plan when that was, when that was in the works. Because I had... I had uh, Nightwatch written as well. I had uh, the majority of Bald was written at the time. Um, what else? Um, 
a, like a, a partial like earlier drift had been written then. Like a lot of the stuff that's put out has is has been in the pipe for quite some time. But yeah, no, it was always the plan. Yeah, definitely, it was always the plan. Yeah. So, and were you looking at it as like you know just the feels of it, or from a financial point of view, or just? Oh, I was looking to make money, baby. You're getting, <laughs> <laughs> you're getting to indie comics to make big bucks, baby. Well, I mean, <laughs> how else can we all be kept in hookers and blow? Well, that's it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, no, I mean, I, to be honest, I didn't know what I wanted to get out of it, and to tell you the truth, I still don't because, like, you, and which I know is a very bad answer for a podcast called Why Comics, but um, <laughs> <laughs> like, I st- like I, I couldn't tell you what like the end goal is. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, because there's some people who like you know either openly admit it or they basically admit it through their books that they are trying out for Marvel or trying out for DC. Or, you know, they're looking to get their thing turned into a children's television program. Or, you know, like for some people, you can kind of see what the end point is from looking at their stuff, you know? Yeah, I mean, some people come out of the gate swinging. We've had people contact us through the event, one in a table. They've got this big 90-issue arc planned out. And, you know, it's going to lead to TV and movies and all that. And it's kind of like, like, you know, slow your roll a little bit. Maybe focus on a one. Because what I really like about yours is that it's one story per issue kind of thing yeah it's not you know this is a drift part one of a six issue miniseries kind of thing mm. and i think that's sort of the way forward if especially for the small press scene sort of market i think too many people are relying on the it's going to be a four issue miniseries kind of thing and, yeah. but they've not actually thought about how long that's going to take and yeah. the costs involved in it. And you see a lot of people drop off quite quickly. I tend well, to find it. the ones that survive are the ones that realize that that's not going to work. So they adapt and survive kind of thing. Yeah. I mean, like if I'd like, if I'd committed to like a, like a 10 issue arc as my first thing, I'd still be working on it now, you know, like, <laughs> I think, yeah, with stuff like that, definitely the, you know, cause I, you know, in, for someone who was like fret new to comics, never done anything like it. Something like the taxi would probably still be a bit much, you know, like a yeah, like a sixteen to eight. I think it was a seventeen page. That's something I learned very quickly. Make sure your pages divide by four, Jesus. But it was like seventeen pages or something stupid like that. But um, but it was only because I'd had the experience of like putting the zines together and knowing how to make layouts and all the rest of it, and knowing how to draw for pages and that kind of thing. It was only because I'd done all that that I felt because. Com- you know, and again, because because I'd seen that this, the quality had, had taken a step up from what I remember in Manchester. Like when I'd seen sort of similar kind of work to mine, like it was always done on the photocopier and just yeah, you know, it was like a throwaway thing. But then, like a bit of you know, a bit of research into like how to get these things printed revealed that oh, actually the 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 standard has has changed since 2011 which of course it would have you know yeah you know like everything's looking very slick and professional these days which like in a way i you know i i i like how easy it is to make professional looking stuff but i do kind of miss the the grubby looking stuff do you know what i mean yeah there's something grungy and yeah like more uh, more honest but maybe not and again like something something a bit dangerous about it like what is this you know what what were the intentions of the person who put this fucking thing together you know like it was it was always a little harder to discern when it was the photocopy like grungy stuff but um you know i mean you know there's still a place for that like you know zine fairs and that are on the up and up and you see loads of that stuff there 
you know, and that's all, you know, they, they seem to be doing very well. Like there's one in Swansea now, Christ. I mean, you know, I would never have thought Swansea would have a zine fair, but it, it's got one and it's going from strength to strength, you know? So the, the only difference with some of the zines is that people are charging 15 quid for a full page. Oh, don't get that they would. <laughs> Honest to God. Whereas the, I mean, part of me does wonder if maybe going back a little bit to the cheap printed off or photocopied, and just left for somebody to collect from a local comic shop or at a convention or something might be the way forward to start building the audience up again. Well, I mean, yeah, trying to attract those non-comic fans or mainstream comic fans, but I mean, it's a time, an effort kind of thing. Yeah, that's it. I mean, you know, because every, every for every like grungy little zine you put out, that's time you can't spend on. That's it. On something the... a bit more slick that you that you know at least will sell in X amount of content. You know, so. I mean, yeah. I mean, I, I suppose it is is a bit of a loss, but um, but anyway, no. To to very uh, to very long windedly answer your question, yeah. The plan was to, <laughs> the the plan was to um, it, obviously it wasn't the financial side of it, and oh yeah, what was it? Oh yeah, it was about like what's the end goal? Um, no, the, like the end goal of it, like for me, it's not like working for Marvel. I mean, you can probably you can probably tell that from looking at my stuff. You know, I'm not. I'm not auditioning for Marvel. I'm not auditioning for DC. You know, like I, I turned down like three or four, um, you know, requests to, to, to work for other people's books every year. You know, well, like, I've always thought that what Batman is missing is two old men sucking each other off as they float off into the sky. Yeah, you tell DC that, and you get a fucking only worded letter. But uh, <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, like for me, like it, you know, and I suppose it is a bit self-indulgent as much as you can be self-indulgent in what is essentially the most self-indulgent thing going which is indie comics um like for me it is just it, it's got to be a laugh do you know what i mean like you've got to be having yeah. a laugh doing it and that's why because like, you know I, I do get like a couple of requests a year like people have seen one of my books and thought oh there we go and they said oh, i've got this idea for a comic i was just wondering if you could like either help with it or draw it or something like that and you know i i, I don't take i i just i don't do that sort of thing i just don't do it because you know, I've only got a finite amount of time to work on my own stuff as it is. But you know, it's you know, listen. It's... It feels less like your thing if you're drawing somebody else or writing. Well, I suppose writing something for somebody else is slightly different. But if you're drawing somebody else's, I suppose it's a bit like a director directing somebody else's script. Well, that's it. Yeah, I mean, you know, I mean, and, and that's not like a blanket rule. Like, because um, um, I did get an offer this year to to contribute to an anthology for um for someone I respect a great deal. And I had to say no to that because I, at the time I was just so pressed for time. Like if I'd taken on an extra thing, like my brain would have just come out my nose. So I said, like, I'm really, I'm really sorry that I can't do it, but I, I can't like, you know, in, in that situation, if I'd been available, then I would have said yes. You know, like if, if it's the right thing, you know, yeah. it says yes. If Marvel want to give me 2 million quid to like develop bald into a 20 issue arc, then, you know, we'll talk. But you know that's not. I, I don't think Marvel's given anybody two million quid anymore. Oh no, probably not. But you know, like that—that's not for me. That's not the—that's not the point. Do you know what I mean? No. Like, it's. I mean, you know, it is. It's basically for my amusement at this point. I would say. The yeah. Co- no, I think I think that's the way to go. <laughs> well, it's got to be in it. I mean, Chris, if you're not enjoying it, then get the fuck out. I mean, Jesus so I did this. I hate it, but you might like it. Yeah, that's it. What's the point? No, you've got to enjoy it. You know what I mean? I think I really do like. You know, when people like get in touch, like on Twitter or whatever, and say, "Oh, like I really like this comic." You know, what I mean that that feels really good. You know, but you know, I, I'm not gonna 
I'm not going to pretend that, you know, I'm doing it to put smiles on children's faces. No, I'm doing it for my own amusement. If you like it as well, then that's great. But it, it is just, it's basically a wind-up, my comics. <laughs> like, it's basically one big wind-up. Well, what I, you know, at the risk of saying like I'm blowing smoke up your own ass or backhanded complimenting, but okay. what I've always really liked about your comics is that it's a wonderfully simple twist, for want of a better word, in the story. It yeah. doesn't always go the way you're expecting it to go. And um, like the flip book you did, Plan A and Plan B, yeah. I could not see how the two were going to interconnect until it happened. Yeah, and it was just a wonderful that. surprise. But then when I thought about it, I was like, that's such a simple idea. And I mean simple in the best way. Yeah, yeah. Because it's not an overcomplicated, convoluted, you know, if you weren't following this bit here and then this bit here, then... Uh, well, and it's yeah. just how they do crossover is beautiful. Yeah, you, you can't, you know, you, you, you can't ask people to do you know a, a great amount you know and and when i say like oh well you know i wouldn't i would never do anything complicated to confuse my reader. no i can't be asked it either <laughs> i can't be bothered writing a really convoluted get the fuck out no i haven't got time like it's got to be easy it's got to be simple and easy it makes sense to me like is the thing i'm always really scared that people are going to guess the endings of my books but then somebody I, I i confided in another creator this about six months ago and they said they said to be fair they said no one's no one's going to guess the ending of this book trust and believe like because they said, like, yeah, it's it's not really the kind of thing you can guess the ending of. Like, what is the logical ending of uh, all the gravity's gone away or my dad wants to be buried on the moon? Do you know what I mean? Like, there is no obvious ending to that. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, the ending for Adrift was beautiful. It was absolutely beautiful and it was perfect. I think yeah, part I really of the thing, though, is that you're because ex- you're kind of thinking that there's going to be something coming, you start thinking, like, really far out there. Yeah. And you instantly dismiss the potentially most obvious kind of thing yeah the, like the endings there for you to see the whole time yeah how it's going to end is there on every turn every single turn is there that's it but yeah so with sort of plan a plan b have you had much feedback on different people reading it a different way first because it's kind of once you've read it one way first you can't <clears throat> experience um, that again kind of thing yeah I've, you know, I've from heard, a different point of view well i heard from I heard you and uh, you and Andy talking about it, where you said you'd read it Plan A first. Yeah, that's right. And I think Dan Butcher did the same, um, but I know Tony read it Plan B first because the promo copy I sent him started with B. That right. was the, that was how I sent it to him, um, because like, and and he said, "Oh, it's typical John in it, just playing with you." Like as if it's like <laughs> as if it's some like Machiavellian mind game, but. That was really just like that was the order the files were in on my iPad, so it was it was like, <laughs> it wasn't some like mindfuck technique. It was just this is the easiest way for me to export this, but like but because they were in that order because that's the order that it was created. Um, yeah, yeah, no, I mean everybody who's read it. I mean to be fair, like everybody's been really nice about it, and you know a, a lot of people said, oh, you know it's you know it's um, it was very clever, and you know the you know the, it was a, a nice. Uh, dovetailed end in between the two stories and that no the, the feedback's been really good on it but um uh but yeah i mean i i kind of you know it, it it's it's always nice to hear stuff like that but like like i said earlier like by the time the feedback for that came in that was like three months in the rear view to me you know what i mean like by the time i was hearing what people thought of plan a and plan b like sido was in production you know yeah so, yeah it is uh yeah but it is nice to hear it is really nice so are you 
one of those creatives that sort of is always on to the next thing. Once the thing's gone, you're into your next thing. Would you like to take a little break between recharge or have you got a little notebook, just stuff full of ideas that you... Um, I mean, the thing is, if I say, oh, yeah, no, I'm on to the next thing all the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Then that sounds like, you know... That's really big added in it. Like, yeah, I'm I'm basically just an ideas machine. Yeah. All right. We'll we'll take in out the big editing. Yeah. I'm, I've struggled to just sit and do nothing kind of thing. My brain is always ticking something over. Yeah. I mean, I'm a very I'm a very lazy person. I've I've dedicated a lot of my life to physical stillness, but um, there's always something ticking over. You know. Um. Yeah. It it is kind of like right. What's next? What's next? What's next? And I, I like. And I've always kind of like gravitated towards people who are like that, you know, like most yeah. of the people I like really look up to and like respect and whose work has influenced mine are like that. Cause I, if you look at like Casey green um, who did gun show and um, which is a, a web comic that I loved dearly. I, I mentioned his name, every podcast, every interview I mentioned Casey green at some point, like he's one of those people Like if you don't know his name, you've seen his work because you know that, um, the dog drinking coffee in a flaming room saying this is fine. Yeah. That meme, that was him. Uh, yeah. Um, that was from gun show. But like he, like, because like that really, that took off. Like that was like, everybody's seen that picture, you know, like, and if he'd been a certain type of person, he could have just basically just sat on that, you know, he could have just merchandised that to death. And, yeah. but he didn't, you know, it, it, like that was in gun show his like web comic and then two years later he just folded it up he said oh, i'm done with this now this is this is this project is finished and i'm moving on to something else so he just he killed the gun show readership just killed it stone dead and said right well i'm moving on to this now different website different thing and he's just kept moving on and moving on and moving on and on to the next on to the next and like you know have i liked all his things as much as i like gun show no but he's always you know he's iterating on what's come before and like another one who's like that is um uh I think now, well, like uh, Limmy is another one I really look up to, like Scottish comedian Limmy. Like he's always like, you know, what's next, what's next, on to the next, and he's very sort of like driven by, you know, whatever's on his mind at the time, you know, because uh, yeah, he had the BBC show and everything in the BBC Scotland show, but these days, if you want to see Limmy perform, you've got to go on his Twitch channel and watch him driving a virtual truck. You know, that's what he's doing now. He's a Twitch streamer, right? <laughs> and um. And I, t- I tell you another one who was a really big influence on me was um, Chris Seavey, who's better known to you and I as Frank Sidebottom. Yeah. Uh, there's a documentary out about him. That for, for those who don't know or remember Frank Sidebottom, he was um, uh, a, a Mancunian artist and comedian who wore a big papier-mâché head and uh, had a, a a diver's clip on his nose. So he always looked top like that, didn't he? And, Terrifying um, as a kid. I don't know why. It was just something about that head. Yeah, it's, it is a little unnerving. And there was a film a couple of years ago with Michael Fassbender in it called Frank, which has, right. which was like a vague, like a kind of, um, you know, like a conjoined story of like Frank Sidebottom and Daniel Johnston and uh, Captain Beefheart and that kind of thing. But, um, yeah, because was that the John Ronson book? Yes. Where he went round? Yeah. Because I believe he was the documentaries on Sky Arts this Friday, so last Friday by the time this goes out. Yeah, yeah. I think it is, yeah. Um, so you can probably get it on download on Sky. Yeah, if you have such uh, things. Yeah. <laughs> well, if you, I, I saw the film the other week in uh, in a cinema in Swansea, and uh, it's called Being Frank, the Chris Seavey story. And um, 
I mean, it was it was incredible. It was absolutely incredible because he was just somebody who was like, right, this is what I'm doing. And I don't care if it's not, you know, if it's going to you know help or hinder my career. This is what I'd like. He said, all oh, right, um, I'm going to get into animation. So he did. And he taught himself and he did it all himself, like, often to his detriment. You know, he wouldn't delegate anything to do with Frank to anybody else. But like, and he wasn't, you know, the, the documentary is about like how ultimately that hurt him in a lot of ways. But I just, I, I just can't help but respect that. Do you know what I mean? Like, and you know, I I feel much the same way. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, you've got to keep doing. You've got, you've just got to follow your nose. Like, there's no, there's no big check coming for anybody in indie comics. I'm terribly sorry, boys. There's no big check coming. I'm very sorry to be the one to tell you this, but it's very unlikely. I know. Uh, I found that out the hard way. Yeah. Well, I mean, <laughs> to be fair, for some of the people who I've seen in indie comics, there may well be like a professional career looming, but for the likes of me, definitely not. So you've just kind of got to like, you've just got to, you've just got to do like what, what excites you. So, so well, yeah. There's so, always that thing as well that once it becomes the thing you do for a living, it becomes a job. Yeah. And whilst you may still get that, it's, it doesn't have that same excitement as when you were doing it as a hobby. Yeah. I'm it's sure. like with True Believers. True Believers is my side thing. This project, this podcast and that is my side thing. You yeah. Know, my job is I'm a postman and, you know. Yeah father and husband kind of thing but but the you know my creative outlet and because it's something that you know i can think about it all day doing my job yeah and then be excited about it when i come home whereas i think if i was getting up at nine o'clock or whatever and sitting down and be like i'm gonna do this stuff today it soon become yeah no no i totally agree because i like um you know I, I you know i i've i've got a you know a, a non a non-arty job but you know, I think this is a good counterbalance to it. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, no, I think that's where art thrives. That's where you usually find creative people in retail jobs or very non-creative kind of jobs. Either you know they build a career that's not creative, or they get dead-end jobs that aren't creative to keep yeah. those creative juices flowing. Yeah, well, so yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, I think if this it, like if this was my job, I would I would end up somehow getting fired from it and. Uh, <laughs> I'd end up back where I'm working now, but um, <laughs> I don't think I'd be able to keep it up if it was like if this was like you know my only outlet. I think yeah, that might be a might be a struggle, but yeah. um, fortunately, it never will be. So I'm gonna worry about that. <laughs> no, I like to say there are people who thrive on it. Mm. You know, thrive on getting up at nine o'clock and doing it day to day. Yeah, well, there's some people who just don't fit into like the who who just don't fit the box of like you know the the traditional pattern like 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 Chris Seavey you know like because yeah. you know there, there was you know at one point while he was doing Frank Sidebottom he got like a like a thirty thousand pound tax bill because he didn't realize you had to pay it <laughs> you know like he he never had like a proper job and like he got he got dragged into court and uh, they said you know this is a very serious charge Mr Seavey and uh, he said, "If you consider the payment plan, he said, uh, would a pound a week suffice, my lad?'" And he said, "No, it would not." <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, there's some, there's some people who just who have to do that because they just don't fit. Yeah, you know, um, you know, and often like th- those, uh, like a lot of those people do like really exciting like stuff, like Chris Seavey, and a lot of them do very very bad stuff. You know, so yeah. that's no that's no guarantee of artistic success. <laughs> but uh, you know. Um, no, I, I think it is good as a, um, you know, uh, as like a, a counterbalance to to your civilian life, you know? Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, one hundred percent. I uh, I suppose yeah, to a certain degree, small press comics is a group of people who don't fit weirdly fitting together. <laughs> Yet well, still, that's it. yeah, not like, quite fitting. Yeah, because you know, we've all got one thing in common at least, you know, and and not only that, but like we've all, you know, we've all been through the same thing. We've all had to, you know, um, just, you know, struggle on basically alone uh, to create this thing, not knowing how it's going to be received once it's out. You know, like th- that's that that's like my biggest. Like every every book I put out, I'm always in the back of my mind. I think this is going to be the one that ruins me. Do you know what I mean? Like. <laughs> This is going to be the one that everybody hates, and they're going to be like, "Oh, hang on a minute." Do you know what I mean? Like every single book that I've ever put out, I thought, "Yeah, there's even the taxi, which was the first one." I was like, "Yeah, people are going to read this and go, I'm sorry, you're not allowed to do this anymore. I'm terribly sorry. We've we've had a discussion, and you're banned." I th- I think though that's a fear that you can use in a healthy way. I think so. But certainly, yeah. like with True Believers, I always dread that you know this year is going to be the year where I fuck it all up completely, kind of thing. Mm. And, you know, that's what keeps me focused on pushing it to be the best that I can make it be kind of thing. Yeah, um, and I, I think it helps to, like, refine your instincts as well because, because like, I I think if, if you... As soon as you get into the mindset of, like, right, well, okay, what will my audience like? You're, you're cooked. You're, yeah. You're cooked at that point. Like, you know, I, all I know is that the books that I've put out that people seem to like are the ones that I have personally believed in enough to see through to the end so you've just got to kind of stick to that system you know like you can't be second guessing yourself at like the last minute it's like well i cared enough to see it through to now and even though i don't think the jokes in it are funny anymore they were funny to me once because i wrote them down you know yeah that's it so what's your sort of turn around time on it because like you say something you find funny when you create it can go stale for you as the creator quite quickly kind of thing yeah, that so, really it really depends. I mean, I'm pretty quick with books. Um, like, well, yeah, I, in a short space of time, you've built up a pretty impressive library. <laughs> yeah, but but also to be fair, of of quite short books. You know what I mean? Like they are yeah. just like one and done, bang out. You know. Um, but uh, I I think like what it is is it's like I, I like the the germ of a book can float around in the ether for like a year or so. And then what it'll be is like one day I'll just be like, bang, right, there it is. There it is. It just turns up fully formed. It's like, right, there you go. That's how it works. You know, because um, like Bald started as um, an ending that I didn't have a beginning for. Because right. I, I, what I, I thought, I know that there is legs, like there's comedic legs in the idea of somebody being forced against their will to lead a cult. <laughs> you know, I thought there's something there. There is something to that. But how do you get someone to that position? So, so that, so basically, I just work backwards. How do you get someone to that position? Um, they can hear, they have some access to some universal truth that nobody else has access to. How do they have access to it if nobody else does? Uh, they can hear what the moon's saying because their head see through and it transmits straight into the brain, and that's the whole story. There you go, done. It's the that it's that person's memoir, and then it's the job of like, you know, taking the 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 beats, the comedic beats, and then attaching it to a to a story of a man of a man's life, so that there's like something for people to give a shit about as the jokes are coming. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. I think if Bald had started at the point where he's leading the cult, um, it might have still, you know, if it had started from there and carried on, it, there would have been lots of good jokes that we could put in there. But it might not have had the heart. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. You might not have cared as much. That's it, and it kind of. 
the story of him becoming the cult leader, I think, is the uniqueness of the book. Whereas there's something, there's jokes in it, but the idea of a cult leader against his will isn't quite as funny as finding out how he got there kind of thing, if that makes sense. Yeah, to me, like, anyway, as the reader. Yeah, I mean, the, the cult thing is basically incidental at that point. You know, it's just, yeah. well, this is this is what I'm doing now. This is the story of my life, and this is what, what it's led to. You know, but but that that little bit at the end, that was all I had for a very long time. Like the the boldness, the brain being exposed, that all came in a flash. And then like three weeks later it was off to print, something like that. So how do you work? Do you write it down or do you let it germinate in your head or a lot of it a lot of it's in yeah, a lot of it like starts in my mind. Um you know, because a lot of my books are done like conversationally. Yeah. Um you know, it'll be a case of like mentally talking it through and seeing how it sounds, you know, and thinking, right, okay, so, you know, how would how would I describe this if it was happening to me? And then, you know, and then it's a case of like writing it down um, into like a loose script. Like no script I've ever written has been longer than like a page and a half because I, I don't put things like, you know, um, wide panel, um, bird's <laughs> eye view. I don't put any of that down. I, I figure that out as I go. Like, you know what looks right. You know what looks right based on what's come before it, and yeah. I can I can just kind of see it anyway, you know. Which is which is, again is another reason why I don't think I, I I don't think I'd be a good like collaborator for somebody because you know I just kind of I've, I've been winging it my whole life honestly. Like it's just it's just been one long blag this comics <laughs> thing honestly, but um but yeah it it it, it is usually it's once once i've kind of got the idea and i know in my heart that that's the one that's it it's finished um they're usually pretty quick to come out like i'm working on like a longer form thing at the minute now i had like and, and that started as an idea that was just germinating in the ether somewhere and then it just lightning bolt there's the idea go and then since then like four days ago like it's just it's, it's written itself do you know what i mean it's just been it feels like it's been drawing itself so that'll probably be up by the end of the year, hopefully. Sort of how long is that as a longer form? Um, well, it's roughly. hard to say it's hard to say at this point, but I'd be surprised if it was if it was less than eighty pages. So yeah, quite long form compared to Yeah, I would say quite long form compared to, to compared to other stuff I've done. But um, you know, it's it's just, you know, when it's right, you know, it's just and like and like stuff like um Sido, like my the big like A two poster comic. Like that came to me in a flash, like a year ago. You know that that could have been released last year, but I I just wasn't sure about it. I thought, oh, I don't know about this. I really don't know. I thought it's too stupid. Yeah. You know, like it's this is too stupid. And my wife was like, no, it's fine. You, know, you need to release it. I was like, no, I don't know. And then, yeah, I think this year I just I just had a change of heart about it. I thought, oh well. You know, we'll put it out as this like big poster thing as an experiment and see how it goes. So, I mean, that hasn't had a showing yet. So, we'll have to wait and see how that does. But, um, but yeah, I mean, that was a that was a pretty quick turn. Right? Yeah, when, once the idea is like locked in, it's pretty quick. You know. Yeah, I mean, you said before about everything you do is different size. Like, Sidle's going to be a big poster comic kind of thing. Do you? Does the story lend to that, or do you just think? I'm going to do this one as a square book or I'm going to do this one as a long rectangle book or. Um, I, th I think, um, I mean, the, the, the story doesn't really tend to dictate the form really. I mean, it, I don't know. I mean, I could, I couldn't tell you how I made that decision for some of them. 
Yeah. I think the thing was like when when I decided to do True Believers, um, the first one I did, the only thing I had was the taxi. That was the only thing I had in print. Yeah. Night Night Watch was being worked on. Um, but I need I thought I've got I can't just turn up with two comics. I can't, you know, like that's yeah. that's not enough. So I thought, right, what can I what can I produce quickly that's gonna occupy like a, a cheap price point on the table? And that's where like gang culture came from and that's where hell came from. You know, it was just like it was, you know, little ideas that you know, if I'd given if I'd given hell a bit more time to cook, like mentally speaking, that probably could have been like a thirty page book. You know, but yeah. it was just well, I, I, I like it's just necessity. I need this now, and um, just the the small square thing that was literally just you know this needs to come out like yesterday. You know, <laughs> it was yeah. a, it was a speed thing for hell. Um, but then with other things like like with a drift that was designed with thought bubble in mind. You know, because I because I knew it was this massive Leviathan convention. I thought, well, it's probably better then to have something like this more compact in form because, you know, if people are carrying like 30 other books from other people and they've got like hardbacks and God knows what else, at some point people are going to be considering weight. And if it's a little comic you can stick in your back pocket, then that might help. And then because the things I did, I do everything at like a four size anyway. So I can always like scale it up if I need to. Yeah. But I, but then when I saw the, the, the little, um, the preview of it, I thought, actually, no, I thought that works. That works like that. You know, that's a good form factor for, for a drift. Yeah, I mean, that's something I'd never actually thought about, is that, you know, the size and weight of your book could be a factor when people have been loading up with, like you say, big bulky titles and the weight towards the end of the day of carrying things around. Yeah, that's I mean... kind I of the uh, Mr. Creosote wafer thin. Yeah, exactly, yeah. I, I, don't think it's, I don't think it's a massive consideration for, like, you know, for, you know, you, should, you shouldn't, like, change a book... That you've decided on, based, you know, oh well, are people going to be able to carry? Yeah. Oh, you know, it was, but that, that to me, it was just like, you know, I, li- I like the idea of having like, and and also it was to, um, uh, it, it was to like differentiate the table offering because all my books are either A five or square. Yeah, I thought right. So if I have a a little A six book as well, then you've got a bit of variety in terms of like the visual of the stand. I so it certainly draws yeah. the eye to your table because. As a comic collector, I always used to like everything to be either the US size or the UK size. Yeah. Anything between the little, like, you know, all collectors have got a slight OCD thing. <laughs> it's yeah. kind of like, it's not quite the same. It's really pissing me off. Yeah. Well, you know, I mean, that's good to know now that it's too late to reprint anything. But um... I know. I've had to throw all the books <laughs> away because <they're... laughs> no, but it's just as I've got more into the small press indie scene, this again is something of that grungy sort of. DIY feel about it of things being different sizes. Yeah, and like, I like the little square books, and I like the, I like the idea of a book you can carry around in your pocket that you don't have to fold. Well, so do I. I mean, you know, because I think I'm not precious about any of my comics. I, I, I do try and keep them in good condition because you know some people do like to, you know, like bag them and put them in a fucking metal sarcophagus and that. But like, <laughs> I've never, I've never been precious about stuff like that. Like to, like to me, I consider my comics to be like disposable. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. Like, you know, Sido is this big A2 sheet with a comic on the back, a poster on the other side. And, you know, we'll be, we'll be handing it out in, like, rolled up. You know, we'll roll it up with an elastic band and we'll give it to them like that. But to be honest, I'm really, I'm not expecting people to put these on their walls and stuff. It's to fold up and, 
you know, it's 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 a it's a temporary item. You know, it's yeah. just a, it's like a transient thing in your life. That's what it's meant to be. Well, that's you what know, comics were meant to be. It was a, a disposable distraction for your kids for twenty minutes. So. Well, that's it. And I like I read somewhere that like that's why like almost none of like the the really early like DC and uh, DC comics and that survived because they were used as ballast in the Second World War. Yeah, exactly. You know, because because they were designed to be like they were periodicals. They were like newspapers. And I th- I, I think that's how I feel about them. Even now, you know, I I mean, again, I I look after the comics that I have got. I bag and yeah. board them because you know there's always that collection me. But I've, I have a real problem with slabbing. I've always been of the opinion that I'm never going to sell them. If you told me a comic I had was worth two million, I the thing in the back of my mind would be more. Well, I've got a comic that's worth two million. I can't ever sell that. Yeah, yeah I'll let's... sit on it until it's worthless again, kind of thing. <laughs> so my comic collection is my kid's problem when I die. That's the yeah, way I look yeah. at it. It's for me to enjoy while I'm alive, and then when I'm dead, it's their problem. Yeah, it's your enjoyment and their burden. That's it, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> pretty much how parenthood should be. <laughs> let me just um, let me just show my ass on the podcast briefly. When you say you've bagged and boarded all your comics, but you don't slab them, what's slabbing? When you send it off to be graded through CGC or something like that. Oh, the little plastic box. Yeah, I have a uh, real issue with that. The amount of people that because I'm on a couple of comic groups on Facebook. Yeah. The amount of posts you'll see sometimes, like, I bought this from the shop and it's got this slight ding in the corner where it's come from diamond in the box kind yeah. of thing. It's like, yeah, because diamonds don't give a fuck, do they? No, because oh. most of the people working at diamond don't really give two shits about comics. They just want to chuck the boxes out as quickly as they can. That's it, yeah. But, um, yeah, so you get that and it's like, oh, that's going to knock the grade down to a 9.8 and that's going to oh, knock, like, 90 quid off its total value. And it's like, Is it's, it a though? New, it's a new comic. There's probably thousands of them right there. Even the rare limited edition cover that you've got, there's still enough out there that it's not going to be worth that much. Yeah, I mean, look, any anything, anything can be a limited edition. If you if you can look out your window and you can't see the thing, then it's technically a limited edition. But, uh, you know, unless it's occupying the entire Earth, it is a limited edition. That's so the way got, I look at it. I've got a Detective Comics one that I find out through people trying to get it all through one of these groups that is worth about 60 quid now, but I didn't instantly think, well, I'm going to go slap that. No. I thought, oh, cool, I've got something that's worth some money. That'll sit in there until it's worthless again. Well, that's it. Like, I, I've got some um, I've got some vinyl records that I found out recently are worth a few bob, but, it, you know, I'm not, you know, I'm not rushing to get them, like, I don't know what the equivalent of slabbing is for records. They're just, they're still on my shelf next to all the worthless shit. Yeah. You know? But it's just nice to know, you know, I'm not going to flog them. I'm not going to do anything differently. That's it. It kind of validates your claim, keep holding on to them, kind of thing. When yeah, I said, yeah. you can just throw the shit away now. You're listening. No, it's like it's, it's it's worth a bit of money. Yeah, exactly. It's worth a bit of money that we can't access because I won't sell it. It's like the other ten thousand comics around that one are worthless. <laughs> yeah, they are ballast essentially. But they're, they're, they're protecting protect that one. The, the one worth one, yeah. They're cannon fodder. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> but like I said, I never got into comics. Because I sort of got into comics in the 90s, which was that speculator boom when everybody was oh, action comics God, number yeah. one had sold for half a million. So everybody was just buying comics as the college investment for their kids. Well, I mean, the thing is, that's still got that there's still an element of that today. Like, there's oh, 100%. St- there's people buying them purely because they think they're going to be worth money. But I, but I, I, I don't just mean like within like comic circles, like that, that sense of like, you know, some comics are worth money is still very prevalent in like the general population because like I work with somebody who found out that I, that I do this and he said, Oh, he said, have you got any tips? Like I said, like what, what kind of tips? He said like, Oh, you know, for, for comics are going to be worth something in years to come. I said, don't bother. 
I said, generally, don't bother. I flogged him a full set of mine, but I said, other than them, don't bother. But like, <laughs> <laughs> these ones are priceless. Yeah, these are worth a fortune. Yeah, but like, so, nothing. I'm killing myself by selling them to you at cost. Yeah. But no, I, but I said, I said, like, nothing, not, basically, nothing that's coming out today really is, you know, you know, you've got no chance. There's no chance. You can't do it. That's it, but, unless it's a very limited print run of something like. Like Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles was probably the last one that's the first one of that's worth a considerable sum of money. Yeah, that's because it was done as a gag comic that had like a thousand copies printed. Yeah, and it just happened to catch the zeitgeist and become a mega hit. And that's the only reason that's worth a shitload of money now. Probably the same with Walking Dead number one as well. But once the TV series dies off, that'll die down again. Yeah, exactly. Like, and thing is, like, you, you, you know, I mean, how many, you know, how many issue ones would you have to buy to? You could, you could never balance it. It's, you know, it's, it's the, it's, you know, it's like a roulette wheel all over again. You know, like the odds are never thirty-six to one because of the zero. House always wins. Do you know what I mean? Like, that's it. You, you can't it, hope to buy enough issue ones to possibly make your money back on the one that hits. You know, that's it. It, it just it ceases to be about the love of the medium then as well for me. Well, yeah, well, that's it. I mean, I like, his thing is like, like I said, like I wasn't like into like you know, I wasn't into like DC or Marvel growing up because it just it simply just wasn't around. Yeah. So I never gave a shit about any of that. And then like when I sort of like circled back to comics later on in life, like I, I've learned more about like DC and Marvel in the last like year and a bit just from being on like, the awesome comics Facebook group. You know I mean? Yeah. Like everything I know about DC and Marvel, I've learned from just being on comics Twitter and being on the awesome <laughs> comics Facebook group. But like you know. You know, it's still not. It's you know, it's it's not for me. You know, but you know, it's it's crazy to think about like you know how that like speculator um, sort of impulse has still permeated out into the mainstream. You know that oh well, you know this is going to be a this is going to be something I can retire on. You know, well only if you only if you're going to fucking sleep under it. What's it? And I mean, it swings back to the Funkos again. Is that they're yeah. sold with protective cases now to give you the impression that that limited edition one you've got is going to be worth money one day. Yeah. And that just seems to be the market. I mean, limited edition is the instant. I mean, we always use it as a joke with the True Believer lanyard. It's like limited special edition. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Kind of thing, playing it up, just buying into that shit. And I'm sure a couple of people have bought it thinking this is going to be worth something one day. Well, you know what? Like, if, if that's what people want, if, if that's how people want to justify the, the purchase of themselves, then no harm in that. But No, nope, you know, that's it. I'll take your yeah. money, idiot. Yeah, exactly. Hey, hundred <laughs> percent. But yeah, so it's like I say, it's sort of it ate itself in the nineties comics, and it's in danger of doing it again with the buy yeah. into collect. So, sort of like you say, you weren't into the DC Marvel thing. How much have you have you got into that through? You say like you know you've discovered things through the awesome pod group and that is that something you gravitate towards now a bit more or are you still no <laughs> no it's not um and the thing is if you if you're like in indie comics and you're like I don't like Marvel or DC then it sounds like you're you know you're trying to be like too cool for it and it genuinely isn't that you know like it's not like uh, I only like comics about sad things you know it's like it's just that it was yeah, never. I've... I've I, been I, the I didn't. I did snobbery as well. Of like, you know, oh, we all like superhero stuff. That's why when I did the comics for the apocalypse podcast, which I did about three months ago now, I think it's finally coming out next month. Jesus um, Christ! Yeah, um, 
I deliberately made the conscious choice of, with the exception of Too Much Coffee Man and Strange in Paradise, I picked all DC titles because I basically went back to when I first got into comics. Yeah, because that was the purest for me. That was the purest thing of comics of why I love them. Of why I loved them. I love reading the small press stuff, but there is a little part of it that in the back of my head is kind of like you're reading these because you run a comic con. Yeah, even though that's not the reason I'm buying them, but it is that niggle in the back of my head kind of thing. Whereas when I was buying comics when I was a kid, it was because I just fucking loved them. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, I I have sort of like I have come around to some um some like big two stuff like um i well like and, and not just big two but like i really liked uh chew when that came out yeah um, that was that was really really good um i really liked um i'll I tell you one thing I, d- I did get into and this was like long before i was in in like the indie comic circuit um there's a great comic shop in um jacob's antiques in cardiff which is this like three-story house with like little sections that people run a stall from, and it's the only place in Cardiff that I know of where, in, from one stall, you can get a calendar from 1985 and a cowpaw spoon. Someone was trying to flog a fucking cowpaw spoon <laughs> <laughs> as an antique, right? And they uh, slammed it. They, they had it slightly, yeah, it was graded, yeah. But um, but yeah, but it is like honestly, like if you're ever in Cardiff and it's open, because it's only open for like three hours a month, but like. <laughs> gotta go to jacob's antiques honestly it's like round the corner from the train station and it is absolutely batshit because there's like someone selling film memorabilia someone selling uh deactivated with air quotes deactivated guns but it looks like all they've done is they put like a little block of wood in the, <laughs> in the hole at the end so it's like i could probably activate this again very easily with a bit of blue tack on the end of a pencil do you know what i mean like, just a cork painted orange stuff didn't yeah yeah you've got to safety tag your gun because it's a live firearm right <laughs> um, there's um there's a comic shop in there i think it's called like uh cardiff uh fantasy center i think it's called and oh, it's cool. you know it's all like long boxes of stuff and i went in there um uh while i was at university i was home from university and um i was like looking through all this stuff and you know it was incredible stuff but because i didn't have i i didn't have like any root or like reference for any of it i i picked out like a few bits and pieces and what have you and i i and i i he um i went to the counter and um i saw a bit of uh he had a bit of original art in a frame behind him and i said oh what's that and he said oh it's um it's hitman and uh i said oh okay and he, and he was a huge fan of hitman he started telling me all about it and he said, you know, it was just this this one series. It was self-contained, and it was, you know, he told me all about. It. I thought that actually sounds. I thought I could. I think I might like that. So I got a couple of the of the trade paperbacks off him, and I really, I really, really liked Hitman. Like I'd say that's probably like my favorite of the of the big two properties, yeah. because it was like a very like you know uh, personality driven. You know, it was like an opinionated comic series you know you could you could sense like the author's hand through it you know um was it john mccrea who did that uh i believe so i'm not massively up on hitman i read a couple when he crossed over with superman but it's been a while for me but like those you know those were such good you know like such good and and because it was like you know and and i'm not and i'm not trying to say like oh i can't get into comics because there's just too many of them you know like but like um, well, it, it can be overwhelming sometimes. Yeah, new it, of, I want to read a Superman comic. How many years is there? Well, he's been around eighty years now. It's like fuck. Yeah, <laughs> it can be overwhelming. But like as Tony said, like you wouldn't start watching your standards from the beginning. So you know. No, I think, like I said to Tony, I think sometimes it's more of an excuse not to do it. 
yeah that's it yeah so i don't like, really want to read them i just need a weakish excuse beyond i don't want to do it <laughs> yeah that's it like like um i'm a big fan of um i'm a big fan of like rupaul's drag race you know that show i know the show yeah yeah i'm a huge fan of rupaul's drag race and there's like a couple of us in work who are well into it and someone was like oh what's this and we started rattling off about it and he said how many seasons are there i said the 11th has just finished and he was like pass he's like not i'm not starting an 11 series thing because when stuff reaches like that sort of like mass then some people will just like be like oh no it's not for me do you know what i mean but um you know hit i'd say hitman was probably like that i'd say that's probably like my favorite of the deal and um you know the strange tales books that marvel did where they where they brought in like you know kate beaton and nicholas gewich and all that i really like those um it's a shame they don't do more stuff like that but um yeah, they were really good. I really liked those. Yeah, so I'm not like you know, I'm not like anti Marvel or DC. Um, I've just read next to nothing, and I wouldn't work for him. So fuck off, man. <laughs> <laughs> no. You know, um, yeah, it's it's just that I didn't have the connection with it when I was growing up. I think that's that's what propels a lot of people's enthusiasm for it. I think is like a, you know, they've grown up with it, and they, you know, because like Tony, who like easily has the best comic knowledge of anybody I've ever met, you know. Like he, you know, as he said on his episode, you know, he grew up with it and, you know, it was very much a part of his life and that, and it just wasn't for me. So I, I never really had that, you know? Well, that's it. I mean, I got into comics because of Superman and I can recognize that, you know, it's not necessarily good. Some of it's very good, but yeah, a lot of it is filler, but I got so much pleasure out of it that that for me, I rank above everything else. It's like I'm always of the opinion that when people ask you, you know, what's in your opinion, what's the greatest comic for me? It's that comic that hooked me. Yeah, well, that I said one I, that made me think I'm going to go buy more comics. <laughs> yeah, well, it was exactly the same thing for me with um, uh, Casey Green's Gun Choke. You know, that's that's my favorite comic. To me, that's the best comic that there's ever been. Yeah, like, I like you know, you ask like a thousand other people who like comics, then you know they wouldn't even rank it if if they've heard of it, but. Like to me, that that kind of like lit the way for me. It was like, oh, look, you can do, you know, you can do something like this, you know. And I think if you look at my books now and then look back at Gun Show, it's not, you know, it's not, it's not like I'm ripping them off. It's not like for like, but I think you can still see like a little bit, you know, you can see like a thread of his influence, you know. Yeah. That's, yeah. That's not a, a bad thing, is it? <laughs> is that no. that was a web comic, wasn't it? You said. Yeah, that was a web comic. It ran for. Cause... Long the whole webcomic passed me by kind of thing. But oh, lucky you. Fuck me. <laughs> Honestly, <laughs> no, it was the only one I've ever properly read was um Andy got me into Penny Arcade for a bit, but even that I read in book form rather than online. Yeah, I mean, you know, Penny Arcade had its time, but I mean like the, the thing about Penny Arcade was like it was it was you know, it was very successful in that, but then by you know, by its success, you know, it was responsible for a lot of well, not you know, they, they, they weren't making it, but a lot of people saw their success and thought, oh, this is how you do comics online. Yeah. And they just poisoned the well. You know, like, you know, web comics in the 2000s were defined by Penny Arcade. And then, you know, there were a lot of other people doing good work. But when when I think back of like web comics of the 2000s, I, you know, the good stuff was like Nicholas Gewich, um, who did uh, Perry Bible Fellowship. Um, there was a comic called White Ninja, which is very good. Akewood was very good, and that was very dry and funny. The art was very, very basic, but it was so funny. It was like a joke-driven webcomic. Uh, Gun Show and like Kate Beaton's Hark of Vagrant was very good. But then, you know, that was like the cream of the crop, and like the bottom 99.9% was all just like two guys sitting on a couch, poorly drawn, like, hey, what about... 
Tekken. Huh? You know, it was just yeah. shitty video game humor. I was like, oh, Christ. You know what I mean? Like, I, 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 I feel bad for anyone else whose like, first real exposure to to comics was that, you know? Because there's got to be other people like that who are in my boat where that was their real first grown-up comic reading experience. I mean, Jesus Christ. Yeah, I mean, I must admit, for a long time, I thought that's what web comics were. It was part of the reason it didn't really appeal to me. That is what they were. And, you know, it's since through doing this that I found out, like, you know, Dan does Vanguard, which is a very different kind of web comic to the Penny Arcade model sort of thing. Yeah, it's definitely, um, I, I think the art forms, that, it, was, it matured very, very quickly, you know, because, you know, and, and I know I rag on it all the time, but like, there were obviously, there were people at the time who were doing really, really good work, and there's people now who are doing like exceptional stuff with it. It's just that, you know, the, the web comics that became famous, um, and, you know, what followed after that, that kind of like defined a large section of that era. You know? Yeah, like, I suppose it's the same as everything. It's everybody trying to catch lightning in a bottle for a second time kind of thing, isn't it? It's like, they yeah, caught lightning it. in a bottle, I can do it. Yeah, like I can I, yeah. bash out a sofa and two people sitting on it. Yeah, I can do that. Yeah, they, that, yeah, it's it's poison. And in a, that's essentially what I did with Gun Show. Like, I saw that and thought, I could probably do that. But um, Gun Show wasn't as popular as Penny Arcade, so nobody, uh, nobody razzed me for it, which was nice. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so... But so, did you do a web comic yourself? Did you? Is yeah. that what you put out into the zines? Oh or? yeah, no, I had a web comic, um, but it was basically just like a just a, a home for what was in the print copies. All so, right, like they were just going up weekly to, because you know there was only like two hundred and fifty copies of the zines I put out, and I knew that that you know they were designed to be like ethereal things, like disposable yeah. items once again. But I thought, well, if I put all this time into making them, then it at least needs to be like a a record of them. Um, that's, I was, that's all, I was that's going all. to ask as a follow-up sort of question way after the fact, but if you'd sort of kept that stuff with you, had a little... Um, I, I think I've gone. still got... Um, I think I've still got the print files from the zines. I think that I have still got the work I did. The website is long gone, but I yeah. think I've still got... Yeah, I think I've still got them somewhere. I don't think I'll ever re-release them. because I was going to say, we we have attempted to sort of put them back out as a uh, John Tucker omnibus edition. The early years. The early yeah. years. The um, early funny ones. <laughs> no, I, th- I think well, I think much uh, much as you're going to burden your kids, I think that's something to burden my kids with one day. You know, <laughs> like you decide what to do with these. But uh, no, it's it's very of it. I think they were very of their time, and they were you know very very inspired by Gun Show. You know, like too inspired by Gun Show, really. Um, but you, yeah, I mean, you can you can kind of see what I was getting at. I think. Yeah. But, uh, Oh, they were bad. Bad comics. <laughs> they were not well, good comics. If you're putting them out for free, people can't really complain. So and it's a good way to develop your skill kind of thing. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it was good practice, definitely. Yeah. And, you know, just, you know, even for free, just having the balls to chuck it out in the world, even if you didn't hang around to see what it was, what it became. Yeah, and that, that definitely planted the seed for what came later. Like, what I'm doing now is like a direct descendant of that time like if, if it hadn't been for finding that little table at the student union with my mate if it hadn't been for you know staying up in the union till like 11 o'clock working on stuff uh you know um bunking off lectures to go and you know work for the magazine and what have you if it hadn't been for all of that i don't think i would have i don't think i really would have had the you know the 
the sense to do this because before that it was always you know like i said like those music magazines that uh ad supported and you think oh well you know this isn't something you do at home this is something you have to get a job to do but like working on the uni magazine it was very much that that kind of taught me like no one's ever going to tap you on the shoulder and say okay it's time for you to to do that you've just got to do it you just have to get on with it no one's ever going to like give you permission to do this stuff you've just got to get on with it and it doesn't matter if you're not you know the best person for the job it doesn't matter if you're not the best artist or you're not the best writer or whatever the important thing is if you want to do it you just got to get out there and do it because you know it's like they say you know, it's later than you think you know what i mean like you just well, so gotta it's, get on with it's it. only gonna fester inside you as the missed opportunity anyway yeah and don't so. worry about don't worry about how long it takes because the time will pass anyway honestly you'll look back and you think jesus where's the time gone but at least if you've because if you try it and you fail then you know whoopsie doos but at least you had a go do you know what i mean like because imagine like getting to your deathbed and then thinking oh i wish i'd and then you're gone (laughs) imagine that passing that off to your kids it's like this is the thing i never did finish it for me (laughs) oh well yeah well i mean that's the other risk isn't it like if you've got like unfulfilled ambitions then you end up you know you end up like one of those fucking people who tries to turn their kids into like an actor or a dancer imagine yeah. being like a helicopter parent but for comics how <laughs> fucking tragic would that be jesus sit over him with a ruler oh my god yeah That's come on work lines. on that shading yeah exactly god <laughs> alive like that will happen to some kids somewhere i'm 100 percent convinced that oh, it I mean, probably is happening to some kids somewhere. yeah which is why it's so important to try and live your own life <laughs> Somebody's just there being like, Jim Lee, he got up at nine o'clock and worked at nine o'clock at night. You will fucking do it. Yeah, exactly. I don't yeah. care if it's the summer holidays. <laughs> but yeah, no, you just gotta you just gotta fucking crack on with it. Like, you know, no one's gonna do it for you. No one's gonna, you know, and I know it's the thing is I know it's hard because like you see like a lot of advice on Twitter, like people saying, Hey, it's really easy to make comics, everyone should do it, blah blah blah. It's not easy, it's really fucking hard. <laughs> Making comics sucks ass, but if you want to, if you want the finished thing at the end of it, you've got to, you've got to wade through all the fucking nonsense. You've got to accidentally put your colours on the same layers as your inks, and when it's far too late, you have to redo the whole thing. You've got to walk through the fire. Do you know what I mean? You've got to do it. If you want to do it, you got to do it. Well, which so I know it's... is simple, but I mean that's something that really did not occur to me until. Like I started working on the magazine at uni and I started putting zines out because all of a sudden I was. I was publishing comics. You know, I, I like the idea of being in comics. I was like, oh, I wonder how you do that. No, you do it by doing it. Genuine. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I, I know it sounds simple, but like, it hadn't, it really hadn't occurred to me. It really had not occurred to me that that was even a possibility. So, yeah, I mean, it is, it is tough, but, you know, I mean, God, it's, it's, it's too big a risk to not do it. And if you want to do it. Yeah, that's it. I mean, the tools are there to make it easy with regard to having the equipment to do it, but actually having the drive to do it, the tenacity to see it through, mm. that's the hard stuff. And, you know, dealing with the crippling self-doubt of, actually, is this as good as I thought it was? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. The amount of people who must get to the last page and just be like, actually, no, this was a really shit idea. <laughs> Chuck oh. it in a drawer and dig it out again when you're in your old age. Yeah, well, I mean, Nightwatch nearly didn't come out because, like, I'd been I'd spent so long looking at it, I thought, oh, this is unreleasable. But then, you know, it was like, well, you've done it now, and no one knows who you are, so you might as well just put it out. And then, you know, people liked it, you know? Like, I got a lot of good feedback about Nightwatch. But you've just got to, yeah, you've just got to follow your nose, and you've just got to you've just got to get on with it, you know? That's it. Do you sort of have, like you said, 
your wife's talked you into or you know giving you the encouragement to finish things is she like your sounding board for things sometimes or do you just 100 get on yeah. with it no I, I honestly like i couldn't i couldn't do this without lauren honestly like because I, I if if you've seen me at a convention you have seen lauren because she's the one who spoke to you right <laughs> <laughs> she's much better with dealing with the public than i am um but yeah no she's always been like really like supportive of it. well you suppose you'd have to be wouldn't you because there's boxes of like comics and you know convention stuff for all you know up in the spare bedroom and that but like you know no she's been she's been really uh yeah she's been really good about it all and i do I, she is kind of like my second pair of eyes like i say do you think is this funny and most of the time she'll say yes but thankfully when it's not she will say no that's not funny yeah and that's more important you need someone to be able to tell you that's not fucking funny you know yeah that's it and yeah she's like i'm already married to you so i can tell you what the fuck <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. What are you going to do about it? You've got to go to court if you want to get rid of me now. <laughs> reason for divorce. She said this page joke wasn't funny. Yeah, reason for divorce. Unsupportive wife. <laughs> oh. <laughs> but, but no, that's that's awesome. I really enjoyed that conversation. Um, I do have one final question that Andy asked me to ask you. Okay. Um. And I'm slightly worried whether we should read undertones into this question. But he would like to know, out of all your roulette options, yeah. which would you most like to die from? Um, oh, God. Well, I'm not sure if he's planning on killing you, but wants to do it in a way you'll enjoy. <laughs> oh, God, right. I'm trying to think now. How has it happened? Um, <laughs> oh, my God. That's really hard. I t- right, I tell, you, I tell you which one I think I'd probably like the most would be um, the head getting knocked off with the boomerang. With an extraordinarily nice. sharp boomerang, because if it's coming from behind you, you're just walking about, going about your day, and then it's over. Do you know what I mean? Like, because some of those death roulette ones are long and they're drawn out, you know. But See, that one, I, I, I had the similar one of the Dutch windmill oh, decapitating me. Dutch so. windmill knocking your head off. Yeah, of course you did. So you know, I got to see something pretty before I died. Exactly. Yeah, because like, <laughs> we've had people like you know impaled by narwhals and um you know they've gone sunbathing in quicksand and have slowly sunken into it you know oh, some, um uh, gone skipping in piano wire and been chopped to pieces like some quite <laughs> unpleasant stuff but uh you know and there have been two death roulette menus now because we change them every year but i think of all of them i think the boomerang would probably be the best way to go that's what i would pick if it was up to me but of course you know with the wheel it never is is it See, you mentioned some of those deaths, and it's even more horrific when I found out that some parent had asked them to do their kids' deaths. Oh God! Well, one fella, like the very first year we came, we came to True Believers. One one fella was like, "Can you, can you kill my daughter?" And she was like five, <laughs> and I was like, "Definitely not, definitely not." And he was like, "Oh, go on." I said, "No," and even Lauren was like, oh, "Go on." I said, "No, I'm not. Do I'm not killing a five year old girl. I'm not doing it." Right, so like, I'll, he, I'll give you twenty quid. You're like, yeah, right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, but um, but uh, I was no, I was like, no, I got to draw the line somewhere. And then the next year, he came back with the kid, and he was she's like, six now. Yeah, Kill he was her. like, she's six now. Will you do her now? And she, and she leaned into the table and went, please. <laughs> I said, are you sure you're happy with this? And she went, yeah. I said, oh, go on then, yeah. So um, yeah, no, I chopped her up. Fuck it. <laughs> No, she was she was really nice about it. Yeah, she she seemed to think it was funny. Yeah, no, we've had a lot. We had a lot of kids, true believers. We had a lot of kids getting diced. Honestly, 
giant wage kids. More damning of the area that we're based in. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was a lot of dead kids, man. Jesus. Yeah. Nice. yeah. Is that the note you wanted to end the show on? <laughs> well, yeah, night. <laughs> Sweet dreams, kids. Yes. <laughs> um, yeah. So, sort of, what upcoming shows have you, have you got coming up? Then let's. Well, I'm so glad you asked. Um, I've got Glasgow <laughs> this weekend, uh, June 29th, at the Royal Concert Hall, Royal Festival Hall, I can never remember. Uh, it's on Sucky Hall Street. Um, then I've got uh, BAM Comic Art and Zine Fair, uh, which is on Small Press Day, which is July 13th at Bath Comedia. And then I am returning to Cheltenham on August 25th. I am at uh, Cheltenham Library Comic Convention. So, so come along to that, and I will shush you if you try and talk to me. I can't wait to try that joke out on the public. Um, and so that's then, the only reason you've done a library one. Yeah, he's like, yeah, I'm, I'm probably going to shoot off after the first hour once I'm tired of that. But, uh, <laughs> and then the next one after that is True Believers 2020, Lovely. which is uh, February 1st. The, the definitive Cheltenham event. The definitive Cheltenham event, yes. None of these library imposters. Oh, of course. No. See, I'm torn with that library one because it's they brought me in initially to get involved and then sort of like, you know, did that thing where it's like, we'll have a meeting, discuss ideas and then run away with them. And um, so I'm kind of torn with like, it's supporting the library, which I'm really behind, but at the same time, they're on my patch. <laughs> yeah, I mean... It's, it's I, like, part of me wants to crush them. <laughs> I, I did, here's the thing, when I saw it advertised, I did think, like, is this, you know, is this cool? <laughs> like, you know? <laughs> But um, I thought, well, you know, it's it's almost, you know, it's the other heart. It's the other side of the year, and yeah, it's it's, it's six months away from us, and it's yeah, it's cool. it, yeah. Like I mean, it's, it's always that just little thing in the back of your head. It's like you fuckers. <laughs> <laughs> but at the same time, it's like, ah, but you're promoting reading places, so <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, uh, do I do I want to be that dick who took out the library? <laughs> I mean, I'm kind of ambivalent. I'm very mercenary about it. Like if there's. Uh, if there's people congregated in a place looking to buy something I've got to sell, then I'll be there. <laughs> <laughs> as long as nobody comes out and it's like, that was way better than True Believers. <laughs> I won't say, if that gets mentioned, I'm just not going to, I'm not going to say anything about that. <laughs> <laughs> Stu, guess what they said? Yeah. <laughs> it's a video. <laughs> cool. So, yeah. So that's that. And um, yeah, any sort of recommendations or anything i think you've done enough through the show haven't you you've well i don't know if i've mentioned through. i don't know if i've mentioned it but uh, there's a webcomic called gun show <laughs> oh tell us there's, more. <laughs> there's uh, a webcomic called gun show which is a gunshowcomic.com which was by um oh, i forget his name but um that was uh yeah casey green's gun show was a big uh, big inspiration i'll tell you another one was um uh nedroid's picture diary by anthony clark that was very good um Oh, God, I'm trying to think what else to recommend now. You've caught me on the hop. Um, See, you were all big about it earlier with your... I know I'm all off by heart. I've done it so many times. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's the one Andy wanted to kill you thing, isn't it? It's thrown you. Yeah, it's thrown me off. See, yeah, he's uh, going to be at BAM with you, so... Oh, he is, isn't he? Yeah. All right, well, I'll take it up with him then. Then. Um, <laughs> uh, what else can I recommend? Good God. Um, um, I'll tell you what I will recommend is... Um, uh, Charles H. Raymond's uh, book Chlorophyll, which came out just after I was on the Awesome Comics podcast, so I hadn't read it at the time, but um, th that was probably 
probably one of my favorite small press books of the last six months. So that's uh, Charles H. Raymond's Chlorophyll. Cool. Um, no, I think that's it. I think that's. I think I said that. I'm going to have forgotten a really obvious one. I'm going to have to send out a big apology tweet. That's all right. I can fire it in the show notes if you. Before I get cancelled. <laughs> that's it. Be the one guy who could take you out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, and where can people find you online? Um, I'm most active on Twitter. Um, if you want to see me acting like an imbecile, if you go on Twitter, <laughs> I'm at John Tucker Art. Uh, I've got the at John Tucker handle, but that's my uh, private account that I can't be bothered to tidy up for public consumption. Um, <laughs> um, my website is johntucker.co.uk. And I think by the time this goes out, I think the Time Machine sale will still be going on, so you can get a bumper pack of my books for a tenner. Um, tell us more I... about this Time Machine bundle. Well, you know, I mean, you know, let's say that you've heard a bit about my books. You know, you saw, you've seen me advertise places, you know, on podcasts like this one, um, and you thought about buying a complete set of my books, but you're worried about looking like a Johnny Come Lately, right? Well, I've got just the thing. Um, I've got a bumper pack of all seven of my books. But in order to prove that you've been a fan the whole time, I'll sign them all with a time-sensitive message. So, for instance, uh, Bald, which came out in uh, March 2018, I would sign that, you know, to whoever. Uh, can you believe it? The European Union just banned electric pulse fishing. Signed, John Tucker. Right. Um, so, yeah, so I've been doing a lot of research into trivia in the last couple of weeks, into time-sensitive trivia. But, yeah, if you want a complete pack of my boxes, I think there's like... I think it's like five or six of them left because we've only got like five or six copies of Hell left before that goes out of print. So, um, yeah, so that's available on my website. Um, I think that's it. I think that's everywhere I am online. See, on the downside now, though, is my collection makes me look like a Johnny come lately because there's nothing inscribed. <laughs> well, that's I'm going to have to bring them to you and get you to retroactively, retroactively. <laughs> Yeah. Okay. Well. Yeah. If you next, well, I'll tell you what. Bring them to um, Cheltenham Library Con, which I've heard is going to be packed. <laughs> <laughs> I'll sign for you then if I get a minute. <laughs> yeah. Thanks for that. <laughs> <laughs> and on that note. <laughs> on that bombshell. <laughs> the only time you'll see John Tucker is at Cheltenham Library. <laughs> Cheltenham Library Con, yeah. I'm not doing any of the other smaller Cheltenham shows after this. No, I'm, I'm a library Why man. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. No, see, that feels like a bad note to end on. Let's talk about your death again. <laughs> uh, well, there's Piano Wire, there's uh, Frozen Inside Glaciers, there's all sorts. So, so I mean, will you have the roulette wheel at all of these? Yeah, yeah, I will. Um, uh, I did have some fancy death roulettes like opulent departures which are like an a4 painting i did have a few of those available uh but they've all gone um so yeah if you want to if you want me to draw you being killed by a manner decided by a roulette wheel uh that that will be available on the day at all of these yeah see i'm thinking of getting two more from you so that i can frame them and have the three deaths of Stuart moraine uh the triptych yeah. it's got a nice b-movie feel to it <laughs> there's a couple of people who have got three there are nice. a couple who do have three yeah it's an exclusive club. Something nice about dying three times. I think so. Yeah. And, yeah. My wife takes great pleasure in seeing pictures of me dead. So. Oh, there we go then. Perfect. Uh, perfect birthday present. Exactly. I just thought I'd frame them, give them to her for Christmas. Yeah. Gifts you your truly love. Merry Christmas. Imagine what your life could have been like if this had happened to me sooner. Well, she likes to remind me that I'm worth more financially dead. So. Well, it's because of those comics. That's what it is. <laughs> I know. She's pretty much told me they're going. <laughs> 
Oh dear. I need to get an airtight will signed up. <laughs> she has to frame them all and just litter the walls with them. <laughs> but, anyway, cheers for doing that and uh, Thank you. for answering the question. And um, yeah, I don't think I, I said, did. Did I? <laughs> I didn't answer it. I think you did, didn't you? Did I? I, I can't Let's remember. start again. <laughs> all right. Okay. Here we go. So, John Tucker, why comics? <laughs> <laughs> I thought, why the fuck not? Pretty much covered it up. <laughs> no, yeah, it's a raz. I do comics for a laugh. It's my amusement, <laughs> not yours. <laughs> and on that note, <laughs> cheers, John. Thank you very much. And that was John. I'd like to thank John again for being on the episode. Um, I really enjoyed listening, uh, recording it with him. Um, hopefully, you enjoyed being on, and uh, hopefully, you guys enjoyed listening to it. Um. You can find more of John online at uh, on his website, which is www.johntucker.co.uk or on Twitter at John Tucker Art. He's also got a couple of events coming up. He'll be at Glasgow Comic Con this Saturday, uh, Saturday the 29th of June at the Royal Concert Hall in Glasgow, uh, 10 a.m. till 6.30 p.m. Um, it's got a great lineup of comic guests. Like I say, John's going to be there as well. Um, like I say, it's a great looking event. I really wish I could be there, but unfortunately with working and then travelling up there, I wouldn't be able to make it in time. But yeah, if you're in the area and you can make it, uh, head on up and check, head on to it and check it out. Um, you can find more information on their website at www.glasgowcomicon.com uh, on Facebook, if you search Glasgow Comic Con, or on Twitter where they're at Glasgow Comic Con. Then on Saturday the 13th of July... John's at the Comedia in Bath for the BAM Comic Zine and Art Fair, um, which is a free entry event uh, where you also find people like Andy Hanks is there with I Am Zoot uh, selling his Springworth book, um, other stuff. But you only care about John. John is the important one, but go for John and then discover all the awesome stuff after it. Um, you can find more about BAM on their Facebook page if you just search BAM Comic Zine Art Fair. Um, or if you go to their website, which is www.bamcomicfair.blogspot.com, um, or on Twitter, where they're at bam underscore fair. Like I say, John's there. There's a lot of other great small press people there, so it should be a cracking day out for anybody that can make it along. And um, the True Believers Comic Festival, you can find more information about our event at www.oktruebelievers.com or on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash oktruebelievers or if you just search True Believers we should come up um, we're on Twitter and Instagram as at oktruebelievers and if um, a mailer's your kind of thing and you'd like to hear from us once a week every Monday have a slide something into your inbox uh, you can sign up at tinyletter.com forward slash troobs where you'll get some troobs news when we've got it a bit of art stuff uh, a blog post from me occasionally when I, you know, I'm on form. Am I ever? Um, yeah, and some shout-outs for Kickstarters and that sort of thing. Um, the Nerds and Haunted themselves, you can find us on our Facebook page, which is facebook.com forward slash haunted nerds, or if you just search Nerds and Haunted themselves. Uh, we're on Podbean, where you can find all the episodes still available, which is... Uh, hauntednerds.podbean.com uh, we're also on iTunes where you can subscribe uh, you can also follow us on Podbean and um, if you like what you hear leave us a review, share the links help us spread the word, that would be amazing thank you um, 
and you can also go to the True Believers website, which again is OKTrueBelievers.com. And if you click on podcasts in the menu, you'll find all of our previous episodes so far, even the ones that aren't available online anymore uh, or are not available to download anymore. Um, all the links for the stuff mentioned in the episode should be in the show notes. Apologies if I missed anything, but they should all be there. And next week, we are back with a Nerds Who Haunted Themselves episode, where I will be joined again by my long-absent co-host, uh, let's see, Adam Honks. Yeah, that seems right. So, until next week, uh, hope you have an awesome week ahead. Uh, keep reading some, uh, Read some awesome comics, create some awesome things, and keep spreading the four-colour word. Thanks for listening, guys. Cheers. Bye.